Welcome to Match of the Year Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Garcia. Today we're talking about a match that I think it's overlooked. And it won the PWI Match of the Year for 1992. And that was the British Bulldog versus Bret Hart. Let's start by looking at the two of them. Bret Hart is undoubtedly a first-round Hall of Famer. And without his ascension in the WWF uh, from... 1992 onwards. The entire business is different. Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, all those guys who are smaller, who don't have really the... the height, I guess, is the way to put it. They wouldn't get the shot at the big, at the big game. Brett was really the first guy who was not... what you'd call... cosmetic to really get the push to the title in the WWF after the era of, you know, Bruno and all those guys. After, really, it was after Hogan came in. There was no chance for anyone who didn't have that look to get to the top of the card. They had Ted DiBiase, one of the probably ten greatest workers in the history of the business up to that point. And they never gave him the belt for a long run. And part of that is because he didn't have the cosmetic look that they were looking for. Brett had a great career in Japan, in Canada, of course. Uh, he was trained by his father, Stu Hart. Solid work ethic. And when he came to the WWF first, it was part of a tag team with, initially it was with Dynamite Kid. Most people don't sort of remember that. That was in the very early 1980s. But later... Of course, the famous Hart Foundation with Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And he was really the workhorse of that team. He sort of had the what was the five moves of doom. There was the backbreaker, and there was the, the elbow drop off the top, and of course into the sharpshooter. Side Russian leg sweep. Great stuff. Big star. And in 1992, he was on an absolute roll. Because you had guys like Flair. You had Randy Savage. You had all these guys, and WWF was in a good, was in a really good place. And Brett was doing amazing things. He had that great match with Piper. He had a feud with Mr. Perfect. Like, all these things that are happening. And Brett's sort of at the heart of it. And it was obvious, even at that point, that he was the future of the WWF. We didn't quite know how much the future he was, or how he would absolutely change the business. David Boy Smith started in England... His cousin, or his best friend, I've seen multiple reports, I think it was his cousin, is, of course, the Dynamite Kid. The two of them were the British Bulldogs, and obviously one of the greatest tag teams to ever live. Their matches with the Hart Foundation were phenomenal. Their matches with pretty much everyone were great. There's a video out there of their match with the Rock and Roll Express uh, from an all-Japan tour of Kansas and the Central States, I think it was Central States, it might have been AWA, but it was a great show, really, really good match. He went from a skinny kid, like Dynamite Kid pre-steroid skinny, to a massive hulking beast in just a few years. If you're looking for a poster child for what the business did to people in the late 80s, early 90s, Davy Boy's the guy. Because he could still work, up and almost up until the end, he could still have a great match. But he had the predilection 
for getting big because he saw it as a way to increase his future, and he was right. And he did a great job when he was motivated towards the end, even. This match is phenomenal for a number of reasons, and it's most memorable for a botch. That turned out to be awesome. Basically, Brett had tossed uh, the bulldog out of the ring and did a slingshot tope. Or maybe it's technically a planche. I can never remember which. And he overshot. But he managed to hook his arm around Davy Boy. And as he went down, he sort of gave him a neck breaker. There was no way in hell he meant that to happen. But the botch was so much better than actually having it go right. The match is great. It really is. Davy Boy works fast. And these two understood each other so well. Even the something very simple like the classic arm ringer spot that Bulldog always did. Flawless here. Brett understood how to work with the Bulldog better than anyone. And the Bulldog was motivated because they were in Wembley Stadium in front of thousands of people. I believe it was the biggest crowd ever to see wrestling in England at that point. Might even still be today. And it was also sort of a moment in time when wrestling was was sort of in a trough. Monday Nitro hadn't happened. Raw was not even around yet. It was still primetime wrestling. So there hadn't been this sort of elevation. Hogan was gone. And we didn't know what Hogan was going to do. And I vividly remember, vividly remember how this period was exciting for people like me who wanted to see Bret Hart, Ric Flair, uh, Randy Savage, of course my idol, the British Bulldog at that point. And there was even, you know, Sting and all those other guys. Vader was just coming up. That's it. They were great. There was great stuff happening. But it had not reached the mainstream consciousness that it would just a couple years later. This match is phenomenal. And in a way it represents the last great phase for the Bulldog. He he did some good stuff afterwards, but the combination of the steroids and other issues really weighed on him, and it sort of took him out. He, he could go sometimes, but it was rarer and rarer. In reality, I would say that his last great run was as a tag team with Owen Hart, and they had some wonderful matches. Uh, one that I'm still trying to find, I know I have it somewhere, is Owen and the Bulldog versus uh, Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin. And it's a great match. It's wonderful. Just a brilliantly worked match. It flowed so well. Brett would go on to dominate the title. Okay, dominate's a strong word. He would be in the title mix in the WWF until the Montreal Screwjob, where the business changed again, where good, solid, clean work was not enough. And that's what you were buying when you put Bret Hart at the top of the card. You were buying good, solid, clean work. And Shawn Michaels, who was just as good a worker, if not better, I would argue better, certainly more showy, and that was what got him to the top of the card. Hmm, what are you going to do? Bret would have then go to WCW, have really a short run, but because of concussion issues, it would end at his career. He's, both these guys, I would say, are first-round Hall of Famers. And that's sort of odd to say about the Bulldog, because as a singles, he certainly doesn't deserve to be in. Uh, he never really had that top run. Uh, he dominated the 
European title for a while. Whoop-dee-doo. The British Bulldogs absolutely deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Because they... They were really one of the defining teams of an era of tag team wrestling that was still a big deal. And they were great. They really were. And I don't know if we'll ever see a team like that again. This match, this Wembley Stadium match, is phenomenal. Uh, To me, it's a five-star match, without question. There's lots of heat. There's great work. And it told a really interesting story that flowed the whole way through. These guys were at the top of their game, sort of standing on a precipice, as it were. One going up, one going down. Hmm. All right, that's all for this week. Next week, I'm sort of toying with the idea of finally tackling Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker, the two match of the years they had. But I want to do it sort of in a longer form, looking at their first feud, their first major feud at least, uh, where it was Shawn versus The Undertaker in 1997, including the famous Hell in the Cell, all the way up through their final match. So stay tuned. <laughs> 